Welcome to episode 27 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You need to date ideas straight away with Antho. Welcome back to another episode of WebJoy. Today, I'm excited to have Anto with us today. Say hi to the community and, you know, if you don't mind introducing yourself. Hi, WebJoy community. Um, so I'm Anto. I'm uh, the co-founder and CEO of Lago. So Lago is a YC-backed company. We do an open source alternative to Stripe bidding. And I've been involved in fintech for more than 10 years now. Fintech and B2B SaaS. And before that, I uh, worked in a corporate stuff like McKinsey and that kind of stuff. And um, that was great to learn how to make slides, but I actually didn't really like it. So yeah, <laughs> that's who I am. That's great. So you mentioned you've been in fintech for a while. What does that kind of journey look like, right? Like where did you first get involved? How did you decide you wanted to be in fintech? And I guess what were some of the highlights along the way to until you obviously started your own company, very different, I'm sure, than when you got started. Yeah, for sure. Actually, my, my first job in fintech, it wasn't called fintech at the time. It was in Africa. I worked on mobile money project. So it was about like using feature phones, so not smartphones, so very cheap phones for the underbanked population, like more than the majority of people in, in Africa, so that they can do mobile money transfers like someone who earns less than one USD per day would need to transfer money to the village so that their family could like buy food or, or stuff like this. And as they didn't have a bank account, they needed to either to use like informal means, like asking the bus driver to like uh, transfer the, the money, which is like expensive and not very safe. Or they could use like feature phones to do this and transfer money via SMS, like text messages so it was like a whole different like fintech area it wasn't the stripe area but i really loved it because i think it was the intersection of technology and social impact and also a sustainable business and i think like to have a lot of impact you need to be a sustainable business as well so i started to work like in this continent in this area it wasn't fancy it wasn't called fintech and i really loved it so it was like mainly in the RC, in Congo, in Kinshasa. And I was very young when I went there. I was the only like female expat working on this new project. Nobody really understood it. I had like some crazy meetings at the like Central Bank of Congo and that kind of things. So yeah, I, I really like enjoyed it. And then at some point I wanted to go back to Europe because my personal life was there. And honestly, it's really tough to be there on your own when you're so young. And there are like, as I said, not so many female people there in a um, like exact position. So uh, I went back to Paris. Everything wasn't exciting to me, like in terms of jobs. And I ended up like doing management consulting because honestly, I didn't know what to do with my life. Like mobile money was super exciting in Africa. And then in Europe, like working for a mobile network operator, like, you know, working on like triple play and that kind of things didn't seem like exciting. So I, I really looked for a job for a few months. And at some point, I, I was like really not doing much. And I got an offer from McKinsey to join them and do like management consulting. So I thought I'd better do this because at some point I need to pay the rent. 
So that's how I ended ended up there. It was a great like place. Uh, I met a lot of interesting people and some like really close friends are from McKinsey. And it was, I think the the greatest things was to meet like these ambitious and uh, really smart people. And everything was, you, you had so much like support functions to help you. There's one consultant for one support function. So they really like help you focus on your job. So that was interesting. Uh, but at some point I missed like building things and I felt like, where can I find the intersection between like strategy and building things? And I thought that was startup while staying in uh, Europe or at least like um, living wherever I wanted. And I feel like startups were, were really interesting and um, especially B2B SaaS uh, because I felt it was like very data driven. So I talked to a friend. So one of my friends, he's now the CEO of Hugging Face. It's um, the GitHub for machine learning. I don't know if you heard of it, but great company. At that time, he was working for a B2B SaaS in Paris and he introduced me to other founders. And I uh, finally joined another B2B SaaS called MailJet at the time. It was acquired by MailGun afterwards. So yeah, that's how I ended up in like B2B SaaS. And then like my latest position before like... Um, I found my own company, like Lago, was at Conto. So Conto, I think it isn't very known in the US. Uh, actually, it's like Brex, but for Europe. I was the first employee in VP Growth. Uh, I grew like MRR from like zero to uh, tens of millions. And now it's like, uh, for the latest round, it was like uh, valued at 5 billion. Let's wow. see how it goes now. <laughs> but <laughs> with all the market like turned down, I don't know. But it was quite successful. And then with like former like Conto uh, employees, we wanted to like build something early and build something together. And my co-founder of Lago is from Conto too. So I met my co-founder there and we just wanted to build something early. So we decided we wanted to build something together. So we applied to YC straight away. Uh, first idea we got was to build a no-code data tool for growth teams because that's what we've done at Conto, like doing like growth and using a lot of data. Yeah, that's how uh, Lego was born. So as I said, like Lego is a different business now. This is because we pivoted like a few months ago. I can talk more about it also if you're interested. I love that, right? You had one idea. And so often, I think a lot of people who aren't involved in startups think that someone just starts a business and that's what the business is and it grows and it does its thing. But like so often startups exist because of their pivots. So yeah, I, I'd love to hear. So yeah, how did that kind of pivot come to be? And how did you all end up doing what you're doing today? Yeah, I was um, talking about it to um, Sifted. So Sifted is a like, tech company for Europe. And I was like sharing the story about like how the attitude is different in the US versus Europe about pivots. And I think like the US are much more ahead, like I don't know. I'd love to have your opinion as well, but at least around YC, like people are really positive about pivots and investors as well. Like, they're like, at least you learn something. And the worst thing is seeing like a founder cling to the original idea because they're afraid to change. So if you feel you've tried and now you want to change, like just change it. Whereas in Europe, like it's a bit like what you first described, like what does the idea change over time? And I'm like, like it's a natural like path. But yeah, for the story of Lego. So I think the first idea we had was, so we wanted to build the internal tool we had at Conto. 
and we're very data-driven growth team. And I think the specificity of our setup there was that in my teams, we were like 15 people when I left and I had three engineers and we were like independent from uh, the tech team. And we had this really good relationship with the tech team and they let us do like whatever we wanted, like with boundaries for sure, but uh, we were very independent. So we built the tool we wanted uh, at the time and like shipped it during like YC, started to sell it to people and what we ended up like discovering was that there were very few teams like we were at Conto, meaning when a company grows, usually this data like modeling and data segmenting is like goes through the data team and the data engineering team and not in the growth team. So it's not really useful to have a no-code tool for like marketers if it's the data engineering team that does the job. So that's what we ended up like discovering so of course it seems obvious when i said it this way but wasn't that obvious at the time another way to say it was maybe we're like a bit ahead of the times like maybe growth teams in three years will be more data driven and also one hypothesis that i made that was not right was that the u.s market and the u.s teams uh growth teams would be more data driven and we met a lot of them and actually it wasn't really the case uh, either so they all said they wanted to, but at the end of the day, a lot of data engineers said, I don't want the growth team to touch data because they will mess up all the modeling and segmenting. I don't know if it's something you've seen, but so we feel like, yeah, we're building for a very small niche of people like us. So either we decide to uh, become a dev tool and to be a tool that data engineers would use, or we can also do something different. So we chose like option B um, and we went through, honestly, a roller coaster of feelings during six weeks. Like I think pivoting is hard because you, so I describe it as, um, it's like, as if you're married and then you have a very hard breakup, a divorce. And usually you do, I don't know, it depends on people, but you don't date someone like seriously afterwards. And when you pivot, like investors are like, okay, that's great. But now what do you do? (laughs) And you need to come up with answers. Of course, not like the day after, but a few weeks after you need to have an answer. So you need to like date ideas like straight away afterwards. So we had a lot of ideas. We even thought about like doing B2C, the, the team. We were six people on the team at the time, but we ended up like looking at all the pain points we had as a team at Conto, and one of the things that really emerged was like the pain points we had around billing. So at Conto, we had built um, our own billing system. Uh, we had looked at Stripe billing, Chartbee, all the existing like solutions, and um, it, it didn't really like uh, match our needs. So we ended up like building it like we, we thought it would take like one backend engineer for three months, but actually. At the end, there were like five or six backend engineers like working on it full time. And we saw a lot of different companies like doing this as well. So that time we, we thought we need to make sure like that wasn't a need that was specific to our team. And we also thought that there was an inflection in the market because the pricing models are like more usage-based today. So there was other things around the subscription economy like 10 years ago. Now I think it's more like usage-based economy or mix, like hybrid pricing between subscription and usage. So we thought there was like this inflection in the market. And the second thing was, now we always talk about product-led growth. 
but product-led growth means usually there's self-serve. So it's the same like pricing plans for everyone, but there's also then like sellers-led. So once someone from a big company, like an individual contributor starts using a lot of dev tool on the side, usually what's great to do is the sales team like starts like pinging the, the, this team from the big company so that they can like sell a bigger plan to them. So there's also also this mix in product-led growth around like self-serve and sales-led uh, plans that we needed to address around billing. So for this reason, we, we feel like the existing solutions like of 10 years ago around like the subscription economy don't really work. Uh, that's why there are a lot of companies like we're building the billing as we've done. So we decided to switch. And that was like uh, at the beginning beginning of this year. I think we'll we'll definitely dig into, you know, Lago a little bit later in the podcast. That's been a really interesting journey, right? From like, I love how you mentioned in your start, it was the, when you're working in Africa, it was the intersection of, right, like working with people and finance, right? It like, it was really funny because you start talking and I was like, this doesn't sound like fintech at all. But of course it is, but like, especially being in the US where I'm at, like everything about fintech is all about big corporations and money and like yeah. a little bit more icky of a fintech. And so that was so inspiring to hear like, wow, that's a great way to start out, like helping people send money using the technology that they have. That was really kind of a nice inspirational start. And, you know, and then very practical. So many of us people think that we choose perfect career paths, but like oftentimes it's like, hey, I need to pay the bills. Like, what can I do to pay the bills? And that gets you into a company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But about like fintech and today it's a bit more fancy, but there's still like a lot of businesses addressing the, you know, international remittance like issue. You know, like people, I don't know, someone in the US with family in Nigeria, for instance, would have a hard time like transferring money for a low cost. And I've seen some, interesting applications of stable coins to do this for cheaper cash for instance in the u.s is doing this and i found it really interesting and inspiring as well so yeah there are a lot of inspiring things to do in fintech and what i love about financial services is everyone needs them everyone needs financial services and health and food i think yeah so yeah at least it, it helps having impact on people so you know one thing we we always like to talk about on this podcast is What's something that brings you joy? So yeah, you had kind of like a, a way that you approach your life that you had kind of shared with me um, when we were preparing for this. And so I was just kind of curious, yeah, like kind of how you make choices and kind of how that that leads you to to kind of live your best life. So first, I'd like to share like a little bit of things about my family. So they are like from Vietnam and they left the country because of war. Some of my family lives in California and some of my family is in France and Canada. They went wherever they could. So my parents wanted me to go to the best school and to get A's all the time and to get a great job in a corporate company. So I think they were like the most proud of me when I was doing management consulting at McKinsey and I hated it. So... It was a hard time for me because I really liked that they liked what I did, but I really didn't <laughs> like what I did. And I, I finally like decided I, it's best if they are proud of me for sure. But sometimes, you know, parents, I've talked about, about it with a lot of other founders and some of them also have immigrant parents. And 
that why they successful like unicorn status and all of this and I felt like my, my parents don't acknowledge me they don't even understand what I do I sent a tech French article they don't get it I'm like oh my god I'm not alone so <laughs> yeah a framework I have now is more about like minimizing regrets I think and I think I wouldn't like regret if I stayed at making the difference, I would have uh, always wondered, can I do something else? Is it worth it so that my family is happy, but I'm really unhappy in my job every day? Not really proud of what I do. I don't know if I want to do it. I don't want to make offer. And I work like 15 hours a day to do this. So I had the same like framework when I decided to be a founder because uh, being a founder is scary. So I was a, a very successful company. You could have stayed like... Everyone wanted to talk to me. I came to a point where I had a team so I could like, maybe not like rest. I mean, there's no rest in the startup, but it's a bit, after like Series B, Series C, it's a bit more chill than from zero to one. And being a founder from zero to one is a lot of like pressure. But I thought I would always wonder like what I would have been, what I would have experienced as a founder. And I would regret not trying to, to be a founder. So. I think what brings me joy like every day is just knowing that I wouldn't do it differently if I could. So maybe it's hard and of course it's hard to be a founder and there's a lot of like challenges, but I know I want to do it and I want to live this experience like to the fullest and I love my team. So there are like a lot of things that I wouldn't do differently. And I think that's what I apply to my framework every day, but it, it's hard to to find the balance as well, because you have to mitigate like long-term, short-term and uh, mid-term stuff. I think a lot of people are always wondering. So I get a lot of messages from friends who are working like, you know, like scale-ups or like corporates and are asking, should I like create my company? Am I ready? Isn't it too hard? And I'm like, listen, I have no idea. So it's pretty useless to talk to me. But if you're going to regret it in five years, like maybe you should try. And worst case scenario, like you can go back to your corporate job. I mean... I can probably join another fintech as an employee if I want, like um, in a year or two, if I wanted to, or join a VC. I mean, the opportunities that were here for me, like before I started Lego, I think would be here for me after Lego. So, and even maybe better ones. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think like the feeling of being in the right place and if I could, like not doing the things differently is a pretty powerful I think that people are more likely to regret not doing something than they would regret trying something and it not working out. Yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid of things not working out. And one of my friends, he like created like two or three companies and one ended up like being a huge success. But he was like, you know what? All my photos before, like everybody forgot about them, like because like nobody cared. So it's okay. And I survived. And that's how he managed to do something great afterwards. The good thing is if you fail, like there's a high probability that no one will notice. So, and also they're like highly precise failures. Like, I don't know, WeWork, for instance. And the guy still survived and is still raising funds anyway. So. At the end of the day, like people survive to this. It's fine. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point. It's interesting. I also feel like sometimes people get stuck in what they're doing, right? Like kind of a, 
sunk cost fallacy, right? I've invested so much time at this company or so much time on this career track. If I were to go and do this startup or go and do this job change, like I'm kind of having to start back at the beginning. And I feel like sometimes that can also hold people back that fear of, well, I've invested so much in this pathway. Can I really start another pathway? (laughs) Yeah, I think it takes a lot of courage and immunity too, because you're going to do like crap stuff. And you're going to be junior, even if you're senior in another like career path. So yeah, for sure. I, I think one thing great about like entrepreneurs or startups is that you're always learning something new. You're always junior to your new job and you're always doing like scrappy stuff. So yeah, there's no ego to it. Well, and I think another thing about doing a startup is people have to oftentimes wear so many more hats, right? So in most situations, to your point, Most companies are going to be happy to hire someone back if they went and tried to start up and it didn't work because you've had to do so many things during that, that you've gained more skills, not less, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of my personality like characteristic is I get bored like very easily. So I can't stand still in a corporate job. So the only thing that can still is startups. So yeah, I think also if you have, for people who have that kind of personalities, like startups is the best because I prefer like to learn new things all the time and even like fail and try again than like, being bored in a corporate job. So yeah, that's something you, you must have witnessed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, you know, as we wrap up each episode, you know, we always kind of give a chance for the guests to kind of share something that they're involved with. Um, obviously, no surprise to anyone listening to this you probably want to share a bit more about your company. Yeah, of course. So we help like B2B SaaS and product-led SaaS to set up their billing system and invoicing system. So we're, we're not a payment company. So what we do is we will uh, help you set like plans, subscriptions, usage base, and calculate how much each customer owes like every month or week or year. And we will connect to your favorite like payment gateway. And we will also like um, define the invoices for you. And we're open source. So that means that you can connect uh, Lago, our API, to any like other tool that you want to use. And you can even like fork your code and build on top of it if you want. Because one other thing we discovered with billing is there are a lot of edge cases, depending on your like geographies, business situations, business models. And we want like every like developer to like, be able to build on what we've built at Lego. How do you all plan to make money or how do you all operate on an open source model? So we wrote a blog post about like the engineering nightmares about billing because a lot of people think billing is easy, but it's not. Like once you're a, an engineer who did billing, like you, you know the David is in the details. So we wrote a blog post about, around it. He posted it on the Hacker News and we were like, Number one on Hacker News for more than 24 hours. Like we had a lot of comments. So we talked to a lot of companies, like hundreds of companies. And a lot of engineers just told us we would pay for it. Like we like the open source approach because we were were able to look into the code and see how it works. And we like the the fact that it can be self-hosted in case we we need to build on top of LIGO. That we don't need to wait for you to like uh, do another integration or stuff like this. 
we think and we validated that people are ready to pay for bidding. They are used to paying for bidding today. Usually they pay like uh, a cut on their revenues. Like Stripe bidding is like 0.4 or 0.8% of revenue on top of the of the bidding of the payment processing fees. Charge fee is kind of the same. So there's a market for it. People are used to pay. They just resent like what they call like rent seeker pricing, like percentage on revenues when bidding is just a SaaS. And they recognize like the value of bidding. Nobody says, I don't need bidding. So we know people are, are ready to pay for it. What, one of the ways we want to monetize is like selling the cloud versions. So it's exactly the same product, but it's hosted by Lago so that it's easier to deploy. And then there are like many other like open source models that you know the community might, might be aware of. There are like um, support models, there are like partnerships models, there are like other ways to monetize. But yeah, we're not so worried about like monetization, to be honest, because people are so like used to pay for billing and pay a lot of a lot of money for it. That's great. Yeah, I I always love when a company can say, "Hey, we're going to build this thing. We're going to make it open source. We're going to make it available to people." And then, right, like there are so many other ways you can make money without like hiding the source code and like keeping it to yourself. So, no, that's super encouraging to. Just see, you know, how companies can do can do a good, clean business. It gets me excited. Yeah, exactly. And we try to be as open as possible as well. I, I honestly, I've always wanted to do something open source. So it's also like the founders being excited about open source and being an open company. So we try to be just be transparent with users, and the best way is to just open our code. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been just a pleasure chatting and, and hearing about you and your company. Thank you, Izzy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for episode 27, You Need to Date Ideas Straight Away with Antho. You can find out more about Antho on her Twitter, at ByAntho. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Antho's Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. Give us a shout out on Twitter or tag a friend or coworker that you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date. Thank you for listening and have a great day.